Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication, and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, hello, well women. It's Giovanna here. It's, um, oh, I don't know. It's almost fall, and it is where I live, a very special time of year because... We can smell green chili roasting everywhere we go, so it's a beautiful time of year. If you haven't been to New Mexico, got to come and check it out. It really is just the land of enchantment. Um, I'm super excited to welcome new listeners to the show. I know we have quite a few, and welcome our our, uh, usual listeners back to the show. Um, If you haven't checked out the quiz, go to wellwomanlife.com slash quiz, and you can um, answer two quick questions, and then you'll find out where you are in the life cycle and what you can do about it, and we send you all kinds of good tools and information. Um, And if you've done it before and you want to do it for a new challenge that you have, 
so can definitely do that. I don't know if you can hear my dog Sunday in the background. She's <laughs> she's roaming around here with me. Um, anyway, I think she might be a little hungry or thirsty or something. But um, I am excited today to bring you an interview that um, was so fun to do with Lynn Marie Morsky. And this caught my eye. I have to tell you, a lot, I get a lot of requests from people to be on the show. Um, and a lot of times I have to say, you know, no, not, not right now or maybe later. But this one caught my eye because of um, the way she talks about quitting. She talks about strategic quitting. <laughs> and I just love that. I love taking concepts and turning them around and making something that is usually thought of as negative and making it into a positive. So uh, many of you know, I talk about being selfish. And um, recently, I was writing a paper to be published at a conference. And I used the word selfish. And the editor wrote back saying, do you mean to say selfless? (laughs) And I was like, Nope, I do not mean selfless. I mean selfish, and this is what I mean by it. So um, it was a good opportunity for me to explain it a little further, I guess. But um, anyway, Lynn Marie Morsky, she talks about strategic quitting. And um, she is interesting because um, she's a serial quitter and extremely successful. So I think that's the key takeaway here is that she talks about how to quit. And, you know, we talk a lot about saying no and setting boundaries on The Well Woman Show so that you can say yes to other things. And she um, is a a serial quitter, and you can tell by her bio because she is a physician, an attorney, speaker, author, and she says a lifelong quitter. Um, she uh, is the founder of Quitting by Design, and she's on a mission to help people carve out a successful life through strategic quitting. So she's been quitting things all her life and really um, creating the life that she wants because of that. So um, it's a little bit like looking at our superpowers, which we do. We, we went into depth uh into great detail about that at the retreat recently, but you know how how you find your superpower, and part of the process is by looking at what uh, people usually say is something negative about you, and you turn that into your positive. So she turned her uh, her quitting into a positive. <laughs> so I love it. You can find a link to Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky's book, Quitting by Design at our website, wellwomanlife.com slash 142 show. Here's my interview with Lynn Marie Morsky. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you because, of course, the title of your book caught my eye, um, Quitting by Design. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love it because I talk a lot in my Well Woman Life community about setting boundaries and saying no. And so what is your, what, what's your whole deal here with quitting by design? 
my whole deal is that <laughs> is that quitting, as you know, has gotten a terrible rap in our society. All this quitters never win, winners never quit business is super toxic because as anybody knows, in the wellness space or high performance, there's a lot of things you have to quit to get wh- to where you ultimately are at a life that is in line with your passions and your purpose. You know, we don't wake up at 18 knowing exactly what we want to do and where we want to do it and who we want by our side to do it with. And along the way, you have to make a lot of quits. And so my whole thing with this is that I want to destigmatize quitting, but show people that it's not just up and quitting. You can't just, you know, like office space, go in and burn the place down. If it's a job, you're quitting or, you know, storm out of a relationship. You need to quit strategically so that you end up in a better place, Mm. uh, which involves knowing exactly what you need to quit and working through all the the fears you might have and then getting logistics in place and then making that quit in a way that preserves relationships. So that's my whole thing with quitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I figured, but I just, I find it so fascinating and I I can't wait to dive into this conversation with you because you have a lot of things on your bio. Like you are a physician and you're an attorney and you're a speaker and you're an author. And so by the looks of things, it doesn't look like you have been quitting. It looks like you've been adding. <laughs> right. So how, how have you managed to use this as a tool for your own career? Well, I didn't start off as any of those things that you just listed. I started off as a video editor and multimedia designer, let's say. Those are my first two careers. They were, uh, one was right after the other. And actually, I quit video editing to do multimedia design. And I was in multimedia at age 20, 21. I was even in grad school for multimedia. And I was at work one day, and I was like, man, um, I'm not great at this, and I don't love it. I mean, there were parts of it that I did love. And I thought, okay, maybe if I got a few more qualifications, you know, maybe if I learned JavaScript, which was like what you needed to get better at that job at the time, maybe then I'll like it. Maybe I won't feel so incompetent. And I went to this JavaScript, you know, seminar class. And I remember at like lunch, the lunch break thinking, if this is what it takes to be good at this job, this is miserable. I never want to be good at this job. We are going to have to quit this right now and, and start over. And as a person who I yeah, I had always knew, excuse me, known my trajectory, or I thought, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go into school and do this thing. And I never pictured like, oh, you're going to pull the brakes at 21 and make a massive life change. But I did. I'm super grateful because I would be a totally employed multimedia designer, totally unemployed multimedia designer by this point, because (laughs) it takes so much coding and all these things that I just didn't want to do. And that was my first major quit. And then within that path that you mentioned with the doctoring and the lawyering, there are still a lot of quits. Like, for example, when I decided I'm going to quit multimedia, I thought, okay, you've already made one major, like, let's say, not mistake, but you know, you've chosen one career that wasn't necessarily right for you. So let's make sure you really know that the next one's going to be right. So I did all this research and I came up with, I want to be a sports medicine doctor. And at the time, I didn't pay attention to the fact that when I thought about becoming a doctor and I thought, okay, which specialty would I want to do? I looked at all the specialties and zero of them even seemed tolerable (laughs) except for sports medicine doctor, which is the least medical thing you could do with a medical (laughs) degree, right? Like most of the time you're handing out like ice and rest, you know, (laughs) and I, and that should have been my first clue, but you know, I'm 21. I think at that point I hadn't developed the same 
intuition listening skills or, you know, that I now advocate for others. But at that time, I just was kind of like, I need to find something that has a, a future that has, you know, a financially stable future, and that I like more than multimedia and that I'm going to be better at than multimedia. And so I went into sports medicine. And that was a 10 year trip, because I had to do pre med all over I hadn't taken pre med classes. So I quit grad school midway through there's another quit. And I just ignored the sunk costs because obviously I'd paid for half of a grad school education. And some people would have said, oh, you should stick that out, finish and get your graduate degree in multimedia. And I would have said, for what? Like, if I don't want to do it now, I'm not going to want to do it more when I have the degree and I'll just be out another year of time and tuition. So I quit. And then I started the pre-med thing and then I miraculously got into a medical school and then a residency. And then I get all the way to sports medicine fellowship and I realized, oh my gosh, I don't like this and I don't want to do this either, which was obviously a crushing blow, crushing self-realization because I just spent a quarter million dollars in loans and a decade of my life to get there. And that was another quit. As I said, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be like at the time I was um, at the University of Arizona and we were working for the Arizona Diamondbacks and they would call me at all hours of the day like you need to rush over here and and do this exam or you need to rush over here and give somebody like an allergy shot. And I was like, I don't need to rush over like none of these things you're talking about are actual emergencies. Just you're used to people doing whatever you want at whatever time. But me leaving a clinic full of patients because one of your guys needs an allergy shot is not an emergency. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. I And so I, I said right then and there, I'm not working 40 hours a week in sports medicine. I will work as much as I have to to pay the bills while I try to find some other way to make this medical degree work. And so that was that was another quit within this. And, and like you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, after I got out of law school, I, well, we didn't, I didn't mention this, but I was in a startup for a year. I was co-founder of a startup. And after dedicating a year of time and hard work to that, I had to quit that as well because it was not at all fulfilling what I thought it would fulfill. And so along this path, and I quit, I, I taught law for a bit and I stopped doing that. And there was a lot of little micro quits. So yes, I'm still a practicing physician and I still have a license to practice law in California, but there are little ways that I've carved out my career over the years through strategic quitting. Mm, okay. And so let's, so I have, I have lots of questions for you, but the first thing that comes to mind is that it seems like a very privileged position to be in, to be able to quit so many things. Yes. And yes. And no. Um, when I first started, it was not because the reason my brother and I were at this point at around the time I quit multimedia, where we realized that our parents had no retirement fund. Uh, we were not, we we're not from a wealthy family, and my dad had worked for himself all the years of our life, and my mom had spent 26 years taking care of her mother who had a stroke. So there was like no pool of of reserve. I mean, we were like, does my dad even have a retirement fund? And we would ask him, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to eBay some stuff, and we're like, oh my god, like you're not getting any younger. How are we going to like, we realize we are going to be responsible for them. And it was at that same time when I thought like, I'm not going to make enough as a multimedia designer, a poor one at that. Like I was already, you know, because it's hard to be really good at something you that makes you kind of miserable. So I was like, mm, I'm not going to make enough as a multimedia designer to support them. And my brother was like working at the West End and he's like, I'm not going to make enough. So like when we, we both went through this thing is like, what can we do that has a stable financial future? And my brother went to law school and I went to medical school. So we didn't come from a privileged point. Like we, ha my first quit was so that we could get to a point that 
we weren't in financial jeopardy if something happened to my parents. Okay, okay, that's good. Good to know that, that that's good perspective on that. Um, yeah, and so in order to in order to make in order to create what we want in our lives, we have to say no to some things, right? And so that is your strategic quitting is to say, no, I don't have to do this anymore. I can I can close this door in order to open another door. Yes. Okay. And um, when, how do you talk about that in terms of like, when do you know that you need to quit in order to really open another door? And when is it just that you're being lazy and you just, (laughs) you just want to quit something? (laughs) Yeah. And I love that question because the, the re the way that you know, is that your body will tell you, um, are you having insomnia? Is something keeping you up at night? And that can either be like, all right, I had a fight with my partner during the day, or I have a meeting with my boss tomorrow that I'm super nervous about because my boss is just like, been after me for so long. Those kinds of things, when you're, when you have indigestion popping up out of nowhere, or for me, when I was in the startup, I had an email notification sound that only went off when I got startup related emails. And I would be going about my day completely equanimous, everything's fine. And all of a sudden that sound would go off and my stomach would just sink. And after this happened for, you know, like weeks on end, I started thinking like, hold it. Why is this one little noise able to rattle me so badly? And that's, that was my body saying, because you don't want to be doing this because you know that at the other end of that noise is an email that you're going to have to deal with. That's, that's not you in line with your purpose. It's, you're just kind of fighting against this thing. You, you've gotten into the startup. You feel like you should keep going, but a lot of things were going wrong. And I thought like, not another email. And, and the counterpart to that is what you said, like, okay, when are you just being lazy? Well, if you're training for a marathon or something and you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh man, like, I don't want to do another eight mile run, but that's just, there's not, there's like nothing in your body is telling you that it's literally just your kind of self-talk like, oh, this pillow feels really nice. I'd like to stay here. That's a different thing. But if you're training for a marathon and you've been training and training, and then every time you think about the marathon, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, or maybe your sleep has started to become affected because maybe you're overtraining. You know, so it's, the, I think it's the difference is when your body is giving you signs versus when that little voice in your head says things. Because we know that voice in our head is our number one enemy very much of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, don't necessarily listen to that as much as listen to when your body, who isn't necessarily your enemy, but is very interested in keeping you alive and well, does the talking. Mm. Yeah, so it's really tuning in, uh, having an awareness and tuning into your to your body and how you're how you're feeling and reacting to things. Completely, and that's why I said if I had recognize this skill set and the importance thereof back when I was trying to decide on a medical career or a new career period, it should have jumped out at me that nothing else in medicine besides sports medicine seemed palatable. And it should have jumped out at me even more that when I got into medical school and in the fourth, third and fourth year, you do different rotations. You do a rotation in surgery and family medicine and OBGYN and everybody else around me, I would say like, okay, what are you going to do for a residency? Which specialty have you chosen? And they would all, well, not all, but very often they would say, I don't know. I like all of them. And if they asked me that question, I would be like, oh, I don't like any of them. 
I just, I'm just waiting for sports medicine, you know, and that should have been my, like my, my intuition was saying like, Hey, if you don't like any of these things, maybe the practice of medicine, traditional medicine is not for you. Mm. But like I said, back in the day, you know, and a lot of things cloud our ability to see our intuition. And at that time it was like desperate need for financial stability. And once you're already, a, you know, like I said, a quarter of a million in debt, it's very hard to say, okay, I'm going to up and stop a thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then the strategic quitting that you talk about, is it also, I assume that it, it's also uh, very handy in your personal life. Like you can quit, yes. quit a relationship or quit um, unhealthy habits or those kinds of things. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, the timing is funny because I literally quit a friendship maybe 10 minutes before this podcast started because I have a friend who has just canceled on me so many times that I literally finally downloaded a calendar app for him. Like, okay, we're going to make you not cancel. Like here we have all of our things we're going to do are going to be in this calendar app. We had set on, you know, we're going to do something tonight and calls gives me no good reason. And I was like, this has happened too many times and my time is too valuable. So this, this, this friendship is just not working for me. Either you can be, you know, impeccable with your word or not. And, and that's the kind of decision I have to make a lot for my own sanity. And relationships for sure, like the second that I, my body speaks the loudest when relationships aren't going well, like mm -hmm. it, it will literally hit me over the head with a hammer in 14 different ways. I remember one time I spent like $1,000 on different treatments for this back pain that the second I broke up with whatever boyfriend I was with at the time, it was gone. And from then, that point on, I was like, oh, back pain is generally going to be telling me, maybe look at your relationships. And it does. So those kinds of things for sure are great places to use strategic quitting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that, that, uh, creating the, the boundaries, you know, to say no, like, I'm not going to have this relationship anymore. So the relationship that you just broke off, did you have a conversation? And, and like, do you feel better after the fact? Well, and this was just a friendship. And that's the thing is that like, I don't, I have a whole lot of relationships in my history. So most of my quitting people is, you know, like a friend or family member. And, and I once did a, a Facebook live on quitting family members and it was the most liked and commented one I'd done because that is, you know, a lot of times those are significant quits because they can have a, a real effect on your, on your life in many ways. Um, but yeah, just as a friendship, I, well, literally I didn't have time to have the conversation cause I was like, I have a podcast to record, but at some point, you know, I, I will just bring up and, in a text or whatever means of communication, like I, I told you what it takes to be in a friendship with me. You have to respect my time. You and I are both authentic people. We do meditation. We journal. Like we try to, you know, that's why I, I said impeccable with your word because he's all about the four agreements. And I'm like, you know, we're all about being authentic and doing what we say we're going to do. And I've, it's not like I would quit a relationship that I never told the person, okay, this is what bothers me. Yeah. But I have definitely said it multiple times. It bothers me when you disrespect my time, when you cancel things at the last minute. And I'm like, I have podcasts to record. I have a book coming out. I have lots of things all over my schedule. I can't just make and break plans whenever. And it hurts my feelings and it disrespects my time when you do. I've already said that. And so at this point, I'll say, look, we've already had this discussion. I cannot. And I will essentially say what I might have just said to you. I think you uh, people treat you the way that you let them treat you. Right. And I'm not going to let you treat me this way anymore. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it takes really, you know, 
standing in your power and setting those boundaries in order to be able to have that conversation because that just just making that decision and having that conversation or communication however you do it is is really scary for some people and like they'll procrastinate on it for weeks or months or years yeah and this is the thing the second I and it's funny you asked this just a second ago and I didn't answer it then but you said like how did you feel after and I had about 10 minutes between that conversation and this podcast to sit there and think, I feel freer. And my entire life is built on the credo of freedom. And the reason I felt freer is because with somebody like that, who's not reliable, for example, we had my my birthday is in a week from tomorrow. And we had plans to do something for my birthday. And I had literally thought last night, what if he cancels on those plans that day? Like, how crushed will I be? And that that's an anxiety there. And to have this friendship or relationship of any type that keeps you in an anxious state is not freedom. And when I realized I'm going to have to let this friendship go, there was this sense of relief that like, I'm going to be free from the anxiety that that friendship brought. And that happens almost any time that I quit a relationship. The reason I'm quitting it is probably, I mean, there's got, there's generally disrespect, but because of that disrespect, there was probably a lot of anxiety that came with it. And got no time for that. Like there are plenty of things in the world that can make you anxious. It shouldn't be the people you choose to spend your time with. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, Oh, what was I going to ask you? So quitting the relationship. Uh, oh, I just lost what I was going to ask you to follow up, but how, how, let's talk about quitting a family member because that is really hard. I mean, they're not going away. Tr- well, They're not going away any more than anybody else isn't going away. And this may be one of the, it's either the most um, relatable thing I talk about or the most controversial. Um, They are just people like everybody else. They just happen to share your DNA. And if they are your mother or father, that is one thing. And if there's some other relationship, that's another. If they're your children, that's a whole nother one. And I, that I can, I don't have any children. So it'd be really hard for me to speak to that. But your parents chose to have you like let's just say we're talking about quitting parents because I think that's probably the one that has the most weight to it you know quitting an aunt or an uncle may you know unless you're really close but um say we're talking about quitting parents they chose to have you and you did not have any choice in that relationship and you can be very very grateful for everything they did for you growing up but you don't owe them anything because you did not have any choice in the matter. Like this, a friend of mine said like, oh, my son, I I gave up so many years for him. Now he owes me. I said, stop that sentence right there. He didn't ask for you to bring him up for 18 years. You chose to have a child. And that's why I think this is conflict. I mean, I don't have any kids and, and I know people with kids may have a different view on this, but everybody also has parents and think like, if, do you want to spend your entire life indebted to people? And so many people do. They're like, they marry who their parents say they can marry. They take a certain job because their parents expect them to take a certain job. God bless my parents who did not care at all what I did as long as I was, you know, not hurting anybody else and happy. Mm-hmm. And that's, but I've had to quit some portions of my relationships with, say, my dad because. When we start talking about certain topics, you know, he is very conservative and I am very not. And, you know, they lead to a lot of stress and arguments and anxiety. And so I know, okay, I'm just not going to have these certain in-person conversations with my father. I've quit like the in-person 
generally the in-person portion of our relationship. We can text, you know, but it's just little boundaries like that that have brought me a lot more relief from whatever kind of anxiety a, you know, like an in-person conversation with him would have led to. Okay. So in your, uh, in your approach, it, it doesn't have to be like all or nothing, like cut them out of your life completely. It can be setting small boundaries that are smaller quits. Yeah. In my book, I talk about, you know, quits can be so tiny and make a big difference. Mm. And that is a huge one. Like if you could quit the, the person completely, sure. But part of the strategic quitting process is figuring out exactly what part you need to quit because so much, sorry, so many, <laughs> it's so much harder to quit an entire thing. Like, okay, I'm going to quit my entire job and find another job. Well, wouldn't it be easier if just if it's your boss causing the problem that maybe you could transfer to another maybe department in that same company or if it's the commute that's bothering you could you just quit the commute and ask to work from home instead of finding an entire another job you know quitting's not easy so quitting an entire family member is dramatic and it's got you know generally repercussions and frankly that's kind of initially what I had done with him because I was just like so over these conversations but then I realized okay hey texting is not going to cause too much of a problem. Phone conversations aren't great. In-person conversations aren't great. But, you know, I tested the waters and thought, okay, I can pull back from this quit because there are two things. Quits don't have to be fatal and permanent and they don't have to be huge. So knowing that, you know, you can try, you know, a major quit, quit the whole thing, and then you can scale back and be like, okay, maybe I can add back a little. And the thing is, it's a, it's a trial and error because I did, last time I went home, I went to see him in person it didn't go great. I'm going to, you know, scale back to just texts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So I think that women especially are socialized to just stick with it, keep going, you know, stay on task. And so the idea of quitting or saying no or setting boundaries is actually really difficult for women. Um, in, and in the work I do, we talk about that a lot. So, do you deal with that in your book or how do you how do you talk about that? I don't specifically deal with women uh, as if we're somehow different. And I and I get that there are extra pressures, but there are also extra pressures on men, for example, in quitting a job if they happen to be the, you know, the breadwinner and not that they always are the breadwinner, but let's just go with like old school 1950s society, you know, like at that point they would have more of um, an issue, but then back to women, if they're the caretakers, uh, then it may be a bigger deal if they quit wanting to take care. For example, if there's some kind of divorce and the, and the, the mother is like, I don't feel as though I could take care of the kids and the, and the, the father should, then you're right. There's more of a pressure on that, the female of that duo. And I would just say that all of the tenants and Everything I talk about in the book about strategic quitting applies so much to both, but it may be certain portions that you need to focus on to help get you through. And the example I give is, is once somebody asked, and we were like at a bonfire with a bunch of people I didn't know, and he said, okay, I've got a question for you on the quitting front. He said, how do you quit a relationship if you're really in love with the person? As if that was somehow like different from other relationships. But you know, I, I was like, okay, well... And I, and I started scale it like uh, kind of like Rolodexing through all of the things that I talk about quitting. And what I came up with on that one is opportunity costs. And I said, like, if your goal in life is to be with that person, okay, that's one thing. But if your goal in life is to be in a loving relationship, then 
whether or not like then that that person that you say you love that you're having a hard time quitting if they're not going to be in a, that loving relationship with you then you are missing out on the opportunity to be in a loving relationship mm. and for women i think that's a good one to focus on like if you're in a for example a marriage that isn't working for you and there's all kinds of <laughs> baggage keeping you in that marriage Think about the fact that you, at the end of the day, you and potentially, you know, your children uh, deserve happiness. And if that isn't bringing you happiness, but you're staying, you're missing out on the opportunity to be in something that will. And uh, recently I spoke with, I was at a retreat and this woman, her name is Shannon. Nope, Sharon. She is doing something extremely courageous. She is a mother of three and they're like between, I think, nine and 15. And she's leaving for a year to go do charity work in Guyana. And so many people said to her, you are the mother and you're leaving your three kids for a year. You know, essentially she quit everything. She quit all her stuff. She's selling all of her stuff. She quit her job. She's doing this thing for a year. And she said, nobody would say that if a man was going off to war. They wouldn't say, oh my gosh, you're leaving your kids for a year. You know, she's like, but I'm going off to help people and everybody's questioning me. And that, that really like smacked me in the face with, yeah, how differently we speak to men and women about, about quits. And she said, this is what I say. She said, and she's a psychologist. So, she, you know, she comes from a place where she's, she knows what she's talking about. She said, I want to be a role model for my kids. And I think women may benefit from looking at it at that way. Like if your kids see you sticking in some position that isn't working for you in a job, in a relationship and whatever, and they see you just tolerating it, they're going to learn that tolerating less than the best is, is okay. And that's not what you want to, what you want to model for anybody. I'm assuming, you know, I don't have kids, but I think you'd want to tell them like, Hey, the world is your oyster. If something isn't working for you, move on. And so that's what Sharon is doing is like, I'm going to show my kids, this is what you do when you're called to do something. You don't let society tell you it's not okay. And, and bow to these pressures. You go ahead and do it. And she's like, I'm sure my kids will be stronger for this year and they'll have a great story and something to look up to and, and a way of living their life that says, Hey, we can do anything. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, you know, historically, women are valued for two things, how they look and how they nurture. And so her, you know, she's being this woman that you're talking about is being judged left and right because of the way she's nurturing, uh, how she's choosing to handle her nurturing role. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's fascinating. Well, I want to ask you, um, or actually, this is reminding me of uh, when I did a lot of quitting, <laughs> um, which I will share on the show here because we're talking about strategic quitting. And I love the way you talk about quitting as the most undervalued self-care tool <laughs> because yes. I think it totally you know, is. I mean, I, I talk a lot about self-care and putting ourselves front and center so that we can be who we need to be in the world. And I, I started my own journey into really like true awareness and fulfillment and this, this, you know, well woman life community and sharing and mentoring women. I started this whole thing through my own major, uh, plummeting into the, you know, depths of despair in life, and which included a lot of quitting. And so what I did was I, 
um, quit smoking. Congratulations. Yeah. This was like 14 years ago. Um, or, or more like 14 or 15 years ago at this point. Yeah. 15 years ago. Um, so I quit smoking, quit my relationship. I was engaged at the time, quit my relationship and I quit some friendships too. So I just basically reevaluated my whole entire life and just started saying no to things like, no, this is not the relationship I want. No, this is not the health I want. No, this is not the life I want, you know? Yeah. And so I did a lot of, of major quitting and changing all kind of all at once, which is, um, you know, it worked out for me. I I don't, wouldn't recommend doing everything at once, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but anyway, it, yeah, it definitely set me on a path to really exploring what it means to stand in your power, be who you want to be in your life. And, and have a voice in it and, and drive, you know, be in the driver's seat. Absolutely. Like I said, it, it's the path to freedom. And that's what I see as, as your version of the driver's seat. Like, I feel as though my life is by my design. And when something comes up and it's not by my design and I start feeling the shoulds, I've gotten to the point where, you know, through, and this is what I'm saying about, you know, um, self-care is strategic quitting isn't just a thing you occasionally do. Strategic quitting is a framework that's in place so that when your intuition starts talking to you, you know, you, you're not me and you don't go like through 10 years of, of training to realize that you're like, oh, hold it. What is it saying? I'm going to pay attention. And then you're able to move forward much more quickly and get rid of whatever, the, for me at least, whatever like the should is so that I can get back to freedom. Because freedom is for me, me deciding what I should and shouldn't do and not right. somebody else. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So, um, Lynn Marie, we are going into the segment called Superpowers for Success. So I want to ask you a few quick questions here to wrap up the interview and the first one is, what does success in life mean for you? Uh, it's funny. I saw this on the, the pre, like things that she might ask you. And I was like, oh, that's such an interesting question. Success to me is when you're able to live your life according to your passion and purpose and your own desires. Nobody else's shoulds. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a life that's free. And I don't like basing success on any kind of career or relationship um, parameters because, you know, like Bill Gates's kids, they don't need to work <laughs> probably, but as, so I, you know, like they can still be successful without having to work a day in their lives. Mm-hmm. But as long as what they're doing with their time is aligned with their purpose and their passion and, and I may never be in a relationship and I don't want to think like, Oh, I've died unsuccessful because I didn't find a relationship. No, like as long as I keep doing things that I feel are, helping the society at large, which I believe spreading the the quitting message is, that's my goal is to, you know, help free up people by letting them know it's okay. And actually great to quit things very beneficial. If I can help destigmatize quitting, then I'm in line with my purpose. Mm. And if in my spare time, I keep dancing and I play music and, and share time and laughs with friends, then, you know, those are my passions. Then if I I am on my deathbed and I've lived a life where I'm doing those two things. I will have been a success. Mm. Oh, I love it. This has made me think of a question I was going to ask you earlier about reframing um, quote unquote failures in your life as uh, decisions you made to move on. Yes. And so I think it would be a useful exercise 
for people, and maybe you share this in your book, I don't know, um, to, an exercise would be to like, you know, go back through and look at your life and the decisions you've made and the changes you've made in your life and just kind of evaluate like what was, what was quitting in order to close a door and open another door instead of beating yourself up about like, oh, that didn't work out. And then that didn't work out. Yeah, there's an entire chapter, uh, as you guessed, in my book of quitting versus failing. One of those, you have the power and the other ones you don't. So say I was at that multimedia job, which again, I was not great at. If I had just kept chugging along at that job, at some point in time, I probably would have failed to the point they would have said like, "Mm, let's have you not work here anymore. You know, like if you get fired because you have not satisfied your, uh, you know, whatever they required of the job, then you have technically failed. Instead, I realized I'm never going to satisfy what I should in this job because I don't have passion for it. I'm not a coder by nature and I don't want to learn coding skills. So I'm going to quit. And that that's where you have the power instead of waiting for life to tell you you failed. But even when it, you know, does tell you you failed, you're right. You can go back and see like, hold it, there was, there was a plan. This was all useful in one way or the other. And once I was, I was giving a talk and afterwards somebody said like, how do you not have regrets? For example, like what, you know, regretting spending that time in multimedia, the money and the time that I spent. And I said, well, that was in 1998 that that all took place. And then in 2017, I, well, I got really political in 2016. And in 2017, I was offered a job working in um, digital media for some nonpartisan political organization. And all those skills that I had used in multimedia, and not, not like the hardcore coding ones, the ones that I didn't have, but like the ability to use Photoshop and do some different graphics things and, and edit videos, they were all super useful in that job. And so it took almost 20 years for those skills to become useful again. But if, if skills that I used back in the day during what should have been a failure all of a sudden help me in this new job 20 years later, then anytime you're failing, think about the fact that like, I don't know right now why this is going to be useful in the future, but it will be. Yeah. Just have the faith. Right. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So when did you know you were really good at what you do? Okay. Is it the quitting thing? Because I am not great at medicine or law. I will. (laughs) Yeah, let's, let's take the quitting thing. Let's focus on that. And it's it's funny that you bring that up because I talk about imposter syndrome very often. As somebody who's got a lot of things, like you said on my resume, it's really hard to be great at a lot of things. Um, Jack of all trades, master of none is definitely a, a phrase that comes up in my own head a lot. But that's when I knew I had found my true calling is I never feel like an imposter talking about quitting. Mm. I, in fact, how this whole thing started was I had, I had been a Bernie Sanders delegate and I had just gotten back from the DNC and I had decided to not teach that semester. And I was like, what am I going to do with, I need to like follow my passion. I, you know, I still, I practice medicine two days a week. So that leaves a lot of time to do other things. And I wrote these two pieces of paper down. I wrote what I like to do and what I'm good at. And on the, what I like to do was like help people give advice, do public speaking. And what I'm good at, the number one thing I wrote at the top was quitting. Mm-hmm. And because at my local graduation, I had given a, an entire speech on like the benefits of quitting because I had done it so often to get to where I was now a doctor and then a lawyer. And without the quits, I would I would have been a multimedia designer back in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And um, when I wrote those two lists, I was like, I'm going to combine these two. I'm going to do public speaking and give advice and and talk to others about 
quitting. Like, and then as soon as those two things came together and I started writing the book, I was like, this is clearly what I was meant to do. And that moment I talked to you about a second ago where the person's like, what about quitting something you love? I had that, you know, I didn't know this person. So there was kind of like this extra fear of like, he's going to have a question. Am I an imposter? Do I really know the, you know, know all the answers, quote unquote, I'm giving quotes as like, you can see me on this podcast. But I thought like, is this where I'm going to be exposed as a fraud? And he said, you know, what about the person you love? And then the second that I was like, Rolodex, Rolodex, opportunity cost. I was like, no, no, no. I know these answers. Mm -hmm. I was born to do this. This is what I'm good at. So it's, to me, it just feels so, I don't know, content and rewarding to, to know that like after years of kind of feeling like an imposter in different areas, that this is the thing that I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay, so describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being. Be- besides quitting? <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely I guess, I guess quitting is your, <laughs> is your personal habit, huh? <laughs> I mean, it really is because like you had alluded to before, all the other habits um, can either – like self-care habits, for example, like massage and meditation and journaling and, and I breath work, I do all those things. But you can either do those things to get you back to baseline because certain situations in your life are causing so much stress and damage that they're like pulling you down from baseline. Or you can do those things and let them use them to get you to a higher level. Like you'd rather that meditation help you become more enlightened than just undo the stress of every day, right? So that's why this framework and strategic quitting, if I notice like, gosh, I'm, I just need a massage because this work week was so heavy. No, then try to do whatever I can to make the work week better, which may involve quitting so that when I get a massage, it takes me from like feeling baseline to feeling amazing. Mm -hmm. So I do a ton of, I mean, I work out every day. I have meal delivery service that provides all my meals so that they're very healthy. Like I have all the health and fitness things taken care of. And then I have this extreme like hobby life where I play the bass and I do open mics and, and I swing all kinds of fun clubs and stuff that are, that's a, that's a fitness thing that's, you'll see it coming, but it's a, it's a way of kind of dancing with these fitness equipment. I do all kinds of fun things, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be able to do those if I hadn't quit the things that were in my way from having free time, from having energy, um, from having just overall that, that freedom to explore new areas. Ooh, okay. And so wait, what is this new fitness thing? that you? Okay. So, um, it's called, well, it's not new. It's like eons old, but, uh, there's two things. One is called steel mace and one is called Indian clubs and they're different weighted objects that you kind of spin around while you can either just do them standing still, but I'm a dancer. And so I do them while kind of dancing and it's a great way to like improve neuroplasticity and to keep creative sorry, creative juices flowing while you're working out. And I just got into those. I was doing um, a Brazilian martial art called Capoeira for the past seven years. And I just quit that recently because I realized it was no longer serving my needs. And it was, it's that balance of like, is it more friction than benefit? And when I realized that that was tipping toward the friction, I made a very difficult quit because everybody identifies, everybody who knows me identifies me as like this Brazilian ninja. But when I quit that, I was like, oh, I've got all this mental free space now and I've wanted to try these clubs spinning before and the second I tried it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I get to be dancing and working out and and again, if I hadn't had the wherewithal to realize that Capoeira was no longer working for me and quit it, I wouldn't have the time in my day to then like go and explore this new form yeah, of fitness. Right. Yeah, I know that's a great example. 
Okay, so I kind of think I know the answer to this next question, but uh, let's see what you're going to say. Um, <laughs> Am I super predictable? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just because we've just been talking. I feel like, well, anyway, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I, I will try to not use quitting for another superpower. But, um, and and when I when I saw this question and I thought about it, I was like, how do I say this in not a an egotistical sounding way? But um, I, we were all not all of us, but many of us who have worked to the high performer status were probably some version of the fat kid in school. And I wasn't the fat kid; I was just the extremely awkward, nerdy kid, no friends, and again, not from a wealthy family. And my town definitely had a wealthy side of the tracks and. And then my side of the tracks. And so there was kind of this like never enough thing growing up. And you spend a lot of time combating that with achievements. Let's be honest. And at some point, I would kind of get these inklings from people like, you really inspire me. Or or, I really like that you're doing this or that. Or like, wow, that's incredible. But I really just, it's hard to believe it at some point. And then I put out this podcast, which I've been doing for um, almost a year now called Quit Happens. And I get other people on the show who talk about their quits. And then I do these Facebook Live things every week where I talk about my quits and I get pretty vulnerable in them. And I've had people come up to me and just like tell me how much some of those mean to them. And I'm like, oh, you had the power to inspire all along. You just never let yourself realize it because you had this this mindset of not enough, mm-hmm. you know? So many of us have that and not that I've totally gotten over it. You know, it's very hard to remind yourself every day and just live in a place where you know you're enough. But after some point of enough, you know, feedback, you have to start saying like, if everybody else thinks I'm enough, let's look at the data here. Maybe I'm enough (laughs) and maybe just me being who I am and sharing my authentic self is enough, is enough, you know, period. Enough to inspire people, but just enough, period. So I think maybe my superpower is just realizing that being myself is enough to help others in some way. Uh, Is it inspiring? Is it in giving them advice? Is it just in letting them think like, hey, she, she's not very traditional. I don't have to be very traditional. She's like 40 plus doesn't plan to like have any kids, works these weird hours, twirls some clubs, like "Hmm, she seems to be doing okay. (laughs) Maybe I could do that. (laughs) So I think that's it. Yeah, I love that. And uh, this idea that that the never enough is such a recurring theme, I feel like in so many conversations. And, um, and I think that we can get external validation, you know, and in terms of like being enough, but really, it definitely comes down to knowing that within ourselves. And when you get to that point, just how much opens up for you. Yeah. If there's, if there's one quit to rule them all, it would be quit thinking you're not enough. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So what advice would you give your younger self, say 25 year old self? Uh, 25. It's funny, as I, as I was talking about a minute ago, I don't have regrets. Like, it's hard for me to tell people that they should go to medical school because of how traumatic it was for me and especially how traumatic residency was, but I wouldn't undo it because it led to where I am now. Yeah. And 
I would say tell that, you know, I hear this so many times. Everybody just tells that 25 year old person like, Hey, it'll be okay. And I'm not sure that I'm any different there because that 25 year old was super anxious about everything all the time. And that 25 year old was, was in the middle of medical school fighting against something I clearly like was not cut out for nervous all the time, stressed out. Cause I like didn't have friends or relationships or whatever kinds of thing. And, and I guess I, what I would tell that person is the universe has a plan. And that's another thing kind of like the, I am enough. It's, it's one thing to like hear it and intellectually say, yeah, okay, I get that. But then to really feel it and, and trust it is another. And I know that my 25 year old self from the middle of nowhere in St. Louis, Southern Illinois was not involved in anything hippie enough to have told me anything about the universe. <laughs> and so at the time, just everything seemed scary, you know, yeah. like to think there was no plan for me. And I was just having to like uh, claw my way into like success or whatever that meant, you know, and trying to make myself financially stable to be like, no, the universe has a plan for you. Just, just take it down a notch, breathe a little bit. It'll all work out. <laughs> okay. I love that. Um, Lynn Marie, do you identify as a feminist? I do. I hope everybody does. <laughs> I, I realize that this definition is uh, very malleable these days, but I, I just firmly believe that women and men should have the exact same opportunities. And I don't know if that makes me a feminist or not. But that's what I believe we, you know, I've had people tell me in like friend relationships, oh, but women, this and that, you know, you're more, emo I was like, no, 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 whenever there's a but like, no, we're, yes, there are some different hormonal compositions and there's a different body structure and there are a few differences in that. But short of that, everything is that, you know, that we should be held to the same standards and we should have the same opportunities and, and for sure, I firmly believe all of those things. Like if yes. I, I was watching a Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing and I, and she was talking about um, reproductive rights and the lack thereof treating women as second class citizens. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like RBG is my hero <laughs> and yeah. And a true feminist. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to follow in her footsteps and help in that arena wherever I can. I love it. I loved the uh, documentary, by the way, RBG. Yes, um, that was it. That's what I was watching. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. Love her. Um, yeah, so on this show, I define feminism as working for social, political, and economic equality. So I think we are on the same page there. Excellent. <laughs> um, all right, last question. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? There are four books on my nightstand. I'm kind of cycling through. Uh, one is called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life. That's a book about chronology. It's fascinating. Another is called Quitters by John Acuff, which I thought I had read all the books on quitting when I wrote my book and somehow this one snuck through and it's so good and it's so fun to read. And also there's Byron Katie's uh, Loving What Is, which oh, yeah. I'm probably the last person to read. Like <laughs> everybody else has already read this, but I'm catching up. And still hanging out on my um, bookshelf is the la or the nightstand is the last thing I read, which is a book called Prison Break by Jason Goldberg, who is going to be on the podcast. I'm very excited about this. He's going to be on my podcast in two weeks. But it's a, it's a book about self leadership, and 
it's it's incredible and it's just going to sit on my nightstand because I loved every minute of it and he even had a section on quitting which I did not know I mean he wrote the book years before I met him so it just tickled me to death that there's that but shout out to Jason because prison break will just hang out on my nightstand and make me happy forever yeah I love it yeah I have books like that too that just hang out there and one of them is Byron Katie's loving what is um, I have to tell you she was uh, a guest on my show um, which was amazing oh so cool yeah yeah so I would encourage listeners and you um, to go back and listen to that it's an earlier episode it's probably it's it's definitely before the 100th episode it's like in the 70s maybe Um, but yeah go back and listen to that and I'll definitely link to these books in the show notes we love book recommendations and um, Lynn Marie I'll also link to your podcast Quit Happens and your uh, book that's coming out in September of 2018 uh, called um, Quitting by Design yes it comes out the 28th I just got word from the publisher today Yay. Awesome. Yes. Exciting. Yes. So um, thank you so much for being on the show and we'll uh, definitely be looking forward to your, to your book. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Women Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Women Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. <laughs>